Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. If you are just joining us for the first time, we are in the final installment of our series, Lost at Sea. What we've been doing in this series is looking at some epic boat stories in the Bible to help us learn how to navigate decisions when our course isn't clear. And I hope you've been uh, using the last few weeks to invite God into the decisions that you're making. You know, that's why I do this, right? Not just to make you feel better on Sunday, but to affect your Monday. That's why I preach. And hopefully you've, you've seen how really God's will for your life, it's not just about what you do, but it's a place that you can live from. You can live from knowing that I'm in God's will. That's the great thing about God's word is that uh, while the Bible, it doesn't tell us specifics for every decision that we make, it does teach us God's principles and God's precepts. And as we learn to walk in God's ways, we can be confident that we're walking in God's will. However, there is still that issue of what to do with those specific things, those questions that we do have. And The great thing is the Bible talks about that as well. I want to read a verse of scripture to you. This is going to be our foundational scripture, introductory scripture for our message today. And it's found in James chapter one. And I think you'll really love this. I'm reading from the voice translation. It was written by Blake Shelton and Adam Levine. But uh, this is what it says. If you don't have all the wisdom needed for this journey, then all you have to do is ask God for it and he will grant you all that you need. Can I stop right there for a minute? I love how simple the Bible makes it sometimes. Hey, if you don't have the wisdom you need for a decision, if you don't have the wisdom you need for the place that God has taken you, all you have to do is ask God for it. Say, all you have to do. All you have to do is ask God for it and he'll give you what you need. He gives lavishly. He never scolds you for asking. Here's the key. That your request be anchored by your single-minded commitment to God. Those who depend only on their own judgment are like those lost on the seas, carried away by any wave or picked up by any wind. Those adrift on their own wisdom shouldn't assume the Lord will rescue them or bring them anything. The splinter of divided loyalty shatters your compass and leaves you dizzy and confused. I love this passage because it teaches us two simple truths. That if we need wisdom for a decision in our life, we're faced with something we don't know what to do, which way we should go, all we have to do is ask. But then it also tells us that when we ask, we shouldn't doubt. In fact, the central truth of this passage is that the single biggest thing that keeps us from walking out God's plan for our lives is doubt. It's when we begin to question, hey, is this the right thing? I don't know if this is the way I should go. Maybe I should ask somebody else. Get all these different opinions, all these different ideas. And that's when the Bible says we end up being lost at sea. So in our final installment for this series, I wanna preach about what do you do when you begin to question if God's plan is working. In other words, how do you combat doubt? 
How do you deal with doubt for the plans that God has showed you? And so I'm calling this message, if you're taking notes today, I'm calling this message unwavering, unwavering. And I believe God is going to use this to help a lot of people today. So if you would, I would ask that you bow your head. I always like to pray, ask that God would help me to communicate truth. And when we pray, what it does is it helps you receive. It opens up your heart to hear the things that God has for you. So if you would just bow your head and agree with me in this prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, and we're thankful, God, that you are present here right now to speak to our situation, to give us wisdom for the things that we need, to point us in the right direction, and to help us, God, with the decisions that we're facing. Lord, I ask that you will use me today to speak your word clearly, and to speak it truly, speak it honestly, not mess it up with my own ideas or opinions, but God, that we would hear from you today. I believe you will, you always speak, and we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Well, in the story that we're gonna look at today, we are going to join Paul on a journey to Rome. Now, if you're here and you happen not to know a lot about Paul, Paul is a pretty significant figure in the Bible, really one of the most significant figures in the New Testament, probably second to Jesus. Uh, Paul was this guy, he started out, uh, hating Christians. And he had this dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And on that encounter, his life was forever changed. And instead of persecuting Christians and killing Christians, uh, he, become, he became one of the greatest missionaries and evangelists uh, to ever live. He ended up taking the gospel to parts of the known world, Asia Minor and Europe. He planted a number of churches. He's attributed to writing over uh, 14 or over uh, 13 books, wrote 14 books in the New Testament, over half the New Testament. Uh, pretty significant guy. And the thing with Paul is he knew a little bit about boats. Actually, I don't know if he knew a lot about boats, but he, he traveled on a lot of boats, is what I'm trying to say in, in his journey. And the funny thing with Paul is that um, he had the worst luck with boats. We know this because in one of the letters that he wrote to a church he had planted, he was talking about some of the struggles that he faced and some of the things that he dealt with. And this is what he said. He said, three times I was beaten with rods. There was one time where I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. So let me break this down for you. He said, there were three times that I got onto a boat and the boat sank. One of those times, or maybe another time, we don't know, I spent an entire 36 hours just floating in the ocean, just waiting for somebody to come rescue me, just, you know, hanging on to debris or wreckage, just waiting, just adrift. And so Paul knew what it was like to be lost at sea. And as we come in his story in the book of Acts, we're going to look at one of his voyages that is actually his fourth shipwreck that we know about. Now, side note, if I ever found myself in line to board a ship with Paul, I would run the other direction. This guy has the worst luck with boats, but we're gonna find him in another journey. And this is actually his last and final voyage where we pick up in Acts chapter 27, we're going to begin right in the middle of a problem. And if you want to look with us, we'll put the words on the screen, but it's going to be verse 9. And in Acts 27, verse 9, 
the winds are beginning to blow and the sailors, they're beginning to freak out. They're having a difficult time. And Paul is on this ship with 275 other prisoners. I say other prisoners because I don't want you to think that Paul is just going for a boat ride here. All right. He's, he's not just uh, taking a cruise ship. This isn't a vacay. He is on his way to Rome, shackled and chained to see Caesar. A little side note history here. You can uh, read some of the context for yourself if you back up a few chapters in the book of Acts. But he was falsely accused of some charges. And Paul was this controversial character. Nobody wanted to really touch him because some people respected him, but some people hated him. And so he was in this legal limbo for two years. And when finally it seemed like he wouldn't get a fair trial, he, he, he used his trump card. He, he said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. He was a Jew, but he was also... Uh, born in Rome, and that meant that he could appeal to Caesar. He appealed to Caesar. That meant that they took his case to the highest court in the land, the Supreme Court, took it before the emperor. So they had no choice but to get him to Rome. Well, that's where we find him. Now, the interesting thing is that even though Paul is a prisoner, he hasn't been tried or convicted yet. So he's afforded some luxuries that the other prisoners uh, didn't have. He's able to take an entourage with him. So he takes uh, a few people with him. He takes his assistant. That's, that's one guy that he takes. And then he takes this other individual named Luke. Now, Luke was a physician by trade, but Luke is also the guy who is writing down this travel blog of events that Paul uh, encounters. And in case you're wondering, why would he have a trained physician with? Well, if you got beat up as much as Paul did for preaching the gospel, you would need a personal physician with you too. So anyways, in verse nine, this is what he says. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Now, this isn't strange. Like, if I find myself on a boat in the middle of a storm, I'm not going to listen to some preacher that happens to be on the boat. I'm going to, if I need advice, I'm going to the captain of the ship. I'm going to the guy who's weathered a few storms in his life. But I want you to know that Paul doesn't just represent a preacher on this ship. He doesn't just represent a prisoner on this ship. He actually represents the purpose of God and the voice of God. And so when he says, hey, if we keep going this direction, we're going to be headed for destruction. He's actually warning them on behalf of God. The problem is he's not the only one with an opinion on what they should do. And I want to stay here for just a minute because here's the thing. You and I are put into this position every day of our lives. And this is the place. It, it, it's this decision. Whose voice are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to God's voice? Are we going to listen to the voice of popular opinion? Now, now I, I got to help you see this. I, I got to help you get in this position. Because you got to understand, like, these sailors, they're not bad guys, right? They're doing their job. These sailors are experienced. They've seen a few storms in their day. They've weathered a few storms. And... 
they have a vested interest in the success of this journey, the success of this voyage. Like, see, this isn't just like a, a prison ship. If you read in the previous verses, the centurion, they actually commandeered a grain ship, a merchant ship that was headed to Rome. Because it's a bigger ship, it's going to get there faster, trying to get there as quick as they could. And so these sailors, this crew, uh, this is their livelihood. They want this to be a success. They're not trying to delay this mission. They're not trying to endanger this mission, let alone endanger their own lives. They have a vested interest in, in this going well. They're, they're not suggesting pressing on out of selfishness or stubbornness. It makes a lot of sense. And if you were the one making a decision, it makes a lot of sense to listen to the voice of experience. The problem is it was the wrong decision. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that following God's plan means that you disregard common sense. I'm not suggesting to you that following God's voice means that you disregard the voice of experience. If anything, when you're looking for wisdom, the first thing I would tell you is God gave you a brain, use it, right? Like he gave you a brain for a reason. So I think that's fine. Use your experience, use wisdom, get advice. Here's the distinction I'm making is that when you've already had a clear instruction from God, right? This is what James is saying. You've been given clear instruction from God when that happens and that goes against popular opinion, whose voice are you gonna listen to? Whose voice do you regard more? Because if your plan is to go with the majority, can I tell you, when you look at the Bible, going with the majority is typically a bad idea. If you go with the majority, you are gonna wind up naked worshiping a golden calf. If you go with the majority, it is gonna keep you from entering the promised land because of fear. If you go with the majority, you will never face the giant, especially with just a sling and a few stones. If you go with the majority, you will never step out and walk on the water like Peter did. If you go with the majority, you are gonna miss out on God's plan and God's purpose. But the centurion, he was convinced by the majority, disregarded what Paul had to say. And this is the tension that James was writing about. He said, hey, will you be anchored with a single-minded commitment to what God has said are you going to be blown about by anybody who has a good idea, a good opinion, a good suggestion, something that makes a lot of sense? Because if you do that, well, he says, that's when you're lost at sea. It's the splinter of divided loyalty that shatters your compass and leaves you dizzy and confused. So I want to give you three things today that you can write down, three things that are going to help you move towards God's mission for your life. And the first thing I need to tell you is you can see the storm, but follow the spirit. You can see the storm, but follow the spirit. See, it's so easy to see the storm and only see the storm. It's so easy to see the effects and everything that's going to happen and think that that's all there is. But when you're following God's plan, you can see the storm, but still tune your ear to what God is saying. And what this text shows us is that's not always as easy as it sounds because there's so many other voices that are speaking. 
And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I've already talked to you some about how you can tell the difference between God's voice and other voices. When, when God speaks, when, when he gives you an instruction, it's, it's always to correct you or protect you. It's never to destroy you or distract you. I, I just need you to know that, that there's a difference. Like God can warn you about stuff that's coming up. But when God warns you, it's never going to put worry in you. When God gives you a clear instruction, when he gives you a warning, he'll give you a specific instruction, but it's going to mobilize you and it's going to make you stronger. It's opposite, though, with the tactic of the enemy. When the enemy threatens you with a lie or with fear, he always uses doubt to weaken your faith to cause you to waver. And you need to understand when I'm talking about doubt, I'm not talking about like doubt in the big things, like doubt with God's plan for your life. I'm just talking about that daily sense of anxiety that so many of us just carry with us into life. That, that just daily sense of dread and worry where I wonder what they're saying about me. I wonder what people are thinking. I wonder what's going to happen if I fail. I wonder what's going to happen if I succeed. Just going through life, just nervous. Just nervous when things are going good. Nervous when things are going bad. Just, just anxious. But God gives a warning. And I need you to know that anytime you ignore God's warnings, you will always suffer loss. How many of you could testify to that? I'm not going to preach on that, but I'm going to say, yeah, I've, I've ignored God's instruction a time or two, and it cost me. Yeah. I, I've ignored God's, God's advice on some things, and, and it, there were some consequences. And I just got to point that out to you because your life is being steered by something. It's either being steered by your senses, like, like the, the sailors in this ship. Again, these, these weren't bad guys. They, they, they had some common sense. I mean, they, they had their maps, and they were navigating by the stars. But if the only way you're getting your bearings is by making a list of pros and cons and saying, well, there's more pros, God must be in this. Can I tell you, you're gonna end up in trouble. If the only way you get direction is by, this is how I feel about this. Can I tell you, you are headed for trouble. You, you, you've gotta have another anchor. You've gotta have an, another compass that's directing your life. Your feelings can't forecast your future. Only God's spirit can. So you have to see the storm, but you got to follow God's spirit. Sailors, however, they, they ignored Paul's advice. Instead of being anchored by God's wisdom, they depended on their own judgment. They refused to stop. And we see what happens next in verse 14. It says, before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. And when I read that phrase, I couldn't help but think of how descriptive it is for the way so many of us live our life. Just driven along. Wind of doubt blows in, just driven along. Just give way to it. Worry comes in, just driven along, just wherever it takes us. Just go with it. 
fear of failure comes, we just go with it. I don't wanna speak to those of you who are being driven along by fear, driven along by doubt, driven along by, by worry. Have you so nervous, playing out different scenarios in your mind? What if this happens? What, what if I, I made a mistake? It's driven along, you can't even function normal. You can't even give yourself to the people you love in your life because you're so worried about what might happen. Okay, can't even be present in your work because you're so worried about what might happen next. Just always anxious. You know, there's a fine line between caution and paranoia, and most of us cross it. So it says they were driven along by the winds and the waves. And he says, as we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So I want you to get a picture of what's going on here. Everything is unstable. There is no security. They're just being driven along by this wind. And now they're wasting supplies. They're wasting resource. It is costing them money. Have you ever been in that situation? Being so frustrated, so nervous, having so much anxiety that, that you're wasting resources. Well, verse 20, it describes the ultimate result of doubt if we let it go unchecked in our lives and we let it drive us along. We eventually come to this point. It says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. See, at first we were okay. At first we were doing what we could. We, we were doing our best. But now it's gotten to the point we can't even see the stars. I don't even have, I have a clear direction on which way to go. We don't know what to guide by. It's gotten really dark. And when you get to that point, it says, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. See, now their doubt has turned to despair. And despair is really when you give up hope that your situation will ever be any different. That the way things are is the way that they're always gonna be. And maybe that's how you feel. Luke says, this is how bad it was. We gave up hope. And if you find yourself there, where you, ever, you think it's hopeless that you'll ever progress past your situation. I believe God's gonna give you some encouragement today. Now, the funny thing is, I want you to remember, like Luke is writing this story, right? Like Paul is the main character, but Luke is the narrator here. And I just gotta imagine, like, uh, what would happen when Paul reads this? Like, what do you mean we gave up hope? Because it is a bad thing when your biographer finishes the biography we gave up all hope, the end. Stuffs it in a bottle, puts a cork in it, and throws it like that's the end of the story. But in this, it says everybody else has given up hope because the waves that are rocking the boat, now they're causing me to waver on the inside. And yet in the midst of all this, I want you to notice what Paul says. It says, after they had gone a long time without food, 
Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice. Now, some of you are thinking, I didn't know Paul was a woman. I'm just kidding. Wait. Just wait for it. It'll come. Actually, Marissa said she wanted to get this verse, put it on a plaque and put it in our kitchen. But I think I'm going to preach on it for this Mother's Day. Men, you should have taken my advice. And not sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. And I want to point out the conflict in this passage because it's one thing like when God puts you in the storm. Like when, when God puts you in the storm, you're pretty confident that God can bring you out of it. But what if it's the result of your own decisions? You know what I'm saying? That, that's where doubt really sets in because like I believe God can shut the mouths of the lions if he's the reason that I'm in the lion's den. But what if I never should have set sail to begin with? Well, what then? Will God really rescue me? You know, what, like, what if I lost my job because I was lazy? Now, I'm not going to admit that to anybody. I'll tell everybody that it was just beneath my skill set and I was holding out for something better. But what if I know that deep down I really had something to do with losing my job? Is God going to help me find another one? Like, what if the reason my marriage is on the rocks is because there really is some truth to what my spouse is saying? What if I really am controlling? What if I really am neglecting? Is God going to help me then? Like, what if the reason you're struggling is because you've made some bad decisions? It's your own doing. Can you expect God to help you out? See, it's not the things that happen in our life that keep us from following God. It's all the stuff I get myself into that makes me question and doubt. Well, since I got myself into this, I guess I'm going to have to get myself out of it. And you'd be surprised how much of our doubt about God's plan for our life is based in the regret of our bad decisions. Something I did or didn't do is now catching up with me. But Paul says in verse 22, he says, but now I urge you, keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. And here's what I wanna tell you. God gives Paul this amazing revelation in the midst of the storm. The second thing I want you to write down is that you can stay up when your situation is going down. You can stay up when your situation is going down. Let me show you this verse. It says, but now I urge you, keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. He has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. In other words, I'm not focused on what I see right now. I'm focused on the future that God has promised me. So he says, keep up your courage, man, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Now, I've got to tell you, I love this phrase. It will happen. 
There are a lot of verses that encourage me in scripture, but few verses encourage me like this verse. It will happen just as he told me. Paul says, hey, the ship's going down, but you can keep your courage up. Do you ever wonder how you can keep your courage up when your situation is going down? I would tell you that is the essence of faith. It is learning to separate your courage from your conditions. It's learning to separate your hope from what's happening. Because see, if your courage is based in your conditions, then when your bank account goes down, well, so does your courage. If your courage is based in your conditions, then when that relationship goes south, well, so does your courage. But Paul wants us to know that even when our conditions are outside of our control, our courage is never outside of our control. And you gotta say, your courage is in your control. Did you notice what he said? Keep your courage up. He didn't say, hey, I got good news for you. God is gonna come in and God is going to give you courage and God is going to keep your courage up. He didn't say that. He said, keep your courage up, men. In other words, you have something to do with this and you can control this. So sometimes you gotta stop praying, God, give me courage. Because what God is gonna say is, hey, I gave you courage, now you keep it up. <laughs> you, you gotta keep it up. You gotta keep your courage up. Instead of feeding your fear, you gotta feed your faith. So many times we feed our fear and now we're being devoured by doubt. We're consulting our circumstances and it's no wonder that our courage is going south. But he says, keep up your courage. It's also worth pointing out that Paul's courage didn't change the storm. Lots of times we're wanting God to stop the storm, but sometimes he doesn't. So sometimes he wants to teach you to have courage in the middle of a storm. And here's what I learned about courage. Is that your courage is powered by your focus. It's powered by your focus. Just like your doubts are powered by your focus, your courage is powered by your focus. Think about Peter. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. What happened? Jesus spoke to him. He said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. He said, come. He gets out of the boat. And as long as he's looking at Jesus, he's walking on the water. But what happened? He, said, he, he took his attention, he took his focus off of Jesus and on the wind and the waves is what he started looking at. And the moment he did that, he started to sink. Now, in case you missed the obvious, let me point this out to you. I don't care how calm it is. You can't walk on the water. If you don't believe me, go try it at the swimming pool next time, all right? It just doesn't work that way. It's not the wind and the waves. It was his focus on the wind and the waves when he took his focus off of Jesus. So when you're feeling like the situation is going down, it's really a matter of what you're focused on. You don't need God to stop the storm for your courage to go up. You don't need God to fix the boat for your courage to go up. What you need is to fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. 
I'm trying to help somebody today. I wish this church was a little bit more alive because what you need to know is that your faith was never supposed to be in the boat. Your faith was never supposed to be in the conditions, in the circumstances. The reason all the other sailors were freaking out is because their hope was in the boat. But my hope's not in the boat. Boat's nice. It's a lot better than swimming to shore. But my hope is in my father's hands. My life is in God's hands. So, so the boat might break, that relationship might sink, and you have to decide, is your hope in the boat or is your faith in the Father? See, I used to think that the way you fought doubt was by pushing back against it. That's never gonna happen. That's never gonna happen. I don't believe that. And I think there's some value in not just like, meditating on every negative thought that comes into our mind because half the stuff we think is never gonna come to pass anyway. But I think there's real value when you can stare at a sinking ship and say, so what? Like, what if it goes down? Because see, doubt's greatest hook in your life is what if. Playing out all these what if scenarios. But it is a great gift when you can get to the bottom and you can find out that God is still there, that God will still be there when the boat breaks. Look at this verse again. He says, Now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. I gotta ask you, get a little participation here. Is this encouraging or discouraging? How many think it's encouraging? Raise your hand. How many think it's discouraging? Raise your hand. We've got people full of faith today. Because I think it depends on which word you're looking at, right? I mean, if you're looking at the boat, the only thing that's keeping you between the water and drowning, the thing that is holding all of your belongings, everything necessary to sustain life. If you're looking at the ship, well, that's discouraging. But if you back up one word and look at the word only, well, then that's encouraging. And you see, the difference between faith and doubt is really just one word. So the ship's going down, but I'm not. I'm staying up. I'm not counting on the boat. I'm counting on the one who made the wind and the waves. And in verse 41, it happened just like Paul had told him. It says, the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. The stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. Thanks for nothing. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land safely. So they got to shore, but it wasn't the way they planned. And I want to tell you this last thing as we close. 
maybe the most important thing, is that you can get there on what you have left. You can get there on what you have left. You're going to make it. It just might not be the way you had planned. Just might not be there the way you had imagined. And I want you to notice what's going on here. Because this storm was so bad, like the moment it struck, the wind and the waves are coming so fast and so furious that they're splintering the ship apart. It's tearing it to pieces. And it's worth pointing out that like this wasn't a storm that was sent by God. Like last week we looked at Jonah, that storm was sent by God. Like this is just a storm. Like this just happened. And sometimes life just happens, right? Like, like things just happen. Like this could have been avoided if they would have listened to Paul, but they didn't. And so now they're in a storm and it just, it happened. And it's tearing everything apart. It's broken to pieces. And when that happens, you can feel like, how am I gonna make it? All I've got left is broken pieces. Like, God, I wanted to have a good marriage, but all I've got left is broken pieces. I wanted this relationship to work, but all I've got left is broken pieces. One of the best for my kids, but I'm looking at that situation and all there is is broken pieces. I looked at my bank account and I made some bad decisions and this financial storm hit and all I've got left is broken pieces. I got a bad doctor's report. My health, it's, it's just broken pieces. I, I want to do something great for God, but with the abuse I've suffered and the stuff in my past, all I've got is broken pieces. Done everything I can. And all I've got left to hold on to is broken pieces. What do you do when the thing that you were counting on to take you to your destiny is beat up and broken? Can I tell you, even if all you have left is a piece, you can make it on broken pieces. You, you can make it even if the only thing you're holding on to is broken, even if the only thing that remains is a few pieces, you can make it on broken pieces. It says they all made it to shore safely, not the way they wanted, not the way they imagined, but our faith isn't in the way it happens. It's in the fact that it will happen. It will happen. So even if all you've got left is a piece. Can I tell you a piece is all that God needs? They, that God can use a, a piece of faith? That he can use a, a, a piece to lift your head? He, he can use a piece to bring joy into your life? He, he can use a, a piece to restore your situation? He, he can use a, a, a piece to bring about healing? He can use peace to help you in your time of need? He can use peace to lift you up when you need it. I'm telling you that even if all you have is broken pieces, God can still use it.